So I've been um, studying a little bit in 1 John, and I ran across a, a passage there in 1 John that I wanted to develop, and, it, and uh, b- before I got there, I wanted to talk about this uh, concept of practice. In, the, uh, Europe, in Europe, they might spell that with an S, we spell it with a C, but either way, the word practice I told, I said one time in front of my boss, I said, practice makes perfect. He said, no, perfect practice makes perfect. And I said, I got to thinking about that. He said, yeah, you can practice very poorly. That's not going to help you. You can practice the wrong things. You can pr- perfect practice makes you perfect. I heard a football coach say one time, one of his, one of his uh, players said, uh, coach, are you going to make us do that till we get it right? He said, no, I'm going to make you do it till you can't do it wrong different levels of practice. And we think about practice, you know, some people say it takes over a thousand hours of practicing something to become an expert at it. That's basically a full-time job for five years to get to be good at whatever it is that you want to get good at. We think about practice, we think about sports, right? We think about maybe playing a musical instrument. The Logans are are not here this morning, but they put in practice on the guitars and the mandolins. Brother Matt puts in practice on his guitar to try to get to the point that he can play it well. Practice. But as Christians, what should we be practicing? You know, a lot of times if you ask somebody that, they'll start thinking about things like this. They'll say, well, we practice communion in our church, or we practice confession, or we practice prayer. Some churches practice things like confirmation, just all these different things that they will say, that's part of our Christian practice where I worship. But that's not what I'm talking about this morning when I talk about practice, and we'll get into that. So when you think about 1 John, the book of John, nowhere in there does it say, hey, I'm the Apostle John and I'm writing this letter to you. But when you look at it and you look at the phraseology and you look at the way he writes that book and you start comparing that to John, the the book of John, the gospel of John, the things that he says and the way he says things, it's nobody really today would say, no, I don't think the Apostle John wrote 1 John. It's pretty much conceded that he was the author. And as you start talking and you start looking into that book, it starts off in the, the very first chapter there, in the very first few verses, and it talks about this concept called the word of life. And it tells us in, that, in, that, in those few, chap, few verses there that the word of life is Jesus. And that Jesus, as the word of life, was manifested and came to the earth, and we saw him and we heard him, this author says. Well, if you think back to the Gospel of John, how does that start off? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14 it says, And the Word was made manifest and dwelt among us. So very similar wording, very similar use of the concept there that this God came to the earth and he became the word, the important stuff, the way to live, the law. He goes on to talk about walking in the light and it juxtaposes walking in the light and walking in the darkness and it says it's pretty binary, you're in one or the other. 
There's no dusk or dawn in this equation. You're either in the light, walking with the Lord, or you're walking in darkness. You're either with Jesus or you're not. And then he talks about Christ as our advocate, that he's our helper. He's the one that helps us in times of need in our prayers being taken up to the Father. And then he said, I've got a new command for you, and this command is that you love each other. And he says, well, it's not really a new command, it's an old command, but it's kind of new. It's really kind of confusing is the way he presents this, but he talks about this command to love one another. I think, this is Yancey thinking, I think what he's talking about there is, hey, loving each other has been something that we're supposed to do for a very long time, but Jesus perfected it. He came to the earth and he gave his life for us because he loved us. So that gives new meaning. That gives new credence to this concept of loving each other. And I'm bringing in, putting it before you again to say, love each other. It's different now that Jesus has shown us how to do it. It's a new command based on the way Jesus did it. Then he says, don't love the world. Again, juxtaposing two things. Uh, juxtaposing two things. He says, don't love the world, love one another. He warns against the Antichrist. He says the Antichrist is all those that are against Christ, all those that are saying that he's not the Son of God, all those that are opposing him, those are Antichrists. He warns against those. And then he tells us to live in Christ. And then we get to chapter 3, which is what I really want to talk about in, in 1 John. In chapter 3 of 1 John, beginning in verse number 6, it says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. But, this is, but this, it, it, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So this morning when I talk about practice, I want to talk about it in this, this concept here in 1 John chapter 3 where it says, let's practice righteousness. He goes on to say here in this verse that God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So he's, he's, it's this concept of I can't keep, I can't, I've got to get this sin out of my life. I've got to quit doing this sin. I've, I can't do that because I've been baptized. The, the Holy Spirit has come into me. His seed abides in me. I'm a Christian now. And so I need to start practicing righteousness because of what he's done for me. I need to start practicing righteousness. I need to be focused on that. Because I can't keep sinning. I can't keep looking at the devil and his works I have given myself to Jesus, and therefore I need to practice righteousness. Well, the definition of righteousness, if you look at Strong's uh, equity of character, specifically Christian justification, I like the Baker's evangelistic diction, a life in conformity to a known standard or law. 
But we know what that standard is, right? That standard when we're talking about righteousness is Jesus Christ. So we're to live a life in conformity to the standard that Jesus Christ has set for us. Well, what are some of those standards? Well, I did a little quick word search on righteousness. Not quick. I spent three or four days doing it. There's a lot of righteousness definitions for us in Proverbs. So we're going to talk about that. In fact, in Proverbs, I forgot the, the, uh, the literary term, but it sets righteousness in opposition to what it's not. So it tells us what it is, and it tells us what it's not. It, it gives us both views of a lot of the concepts of righteousness. And the first one it tells us is that the righteous avoid the fruits of the ungodly. It says that in Proverbs chapter 12, whoever is wicked covets the spoils of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. So the question I put up there, have you ever been willing to cross over moral lines, ethical lines to get spoils, money, job, opportunity, whatever those things are? Have you ever been willing to do something that you were told not to do or that you know is not the way Christ would do it? Remember, he's our standard for righteousness. In, in the Bible, think about, um, think about <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 15. I mean, it's very specific about spoils right there. So uh, you've got the um, Samuel, the prophet, telling Saul, go utterly destroy the Amalekites. I want you to go kill them all. Kill every one of them, man, woman, child, utterly destroy the Amalekites. He goes and he comes back and Saul meets him and he says, Saul says, did you do what God told you to do through me? And he said, oh, yeah, we did. And, and you guys know the story, right? He heard the, the sheep, and he heard some of the, and he said, what's, what's this bleeding, what, what's this I hear? He said, oh, well, we brought back the best of the spoils for sacrifice. Just a little bit off of the direction that he was told to go, right? It doesn't take much when we start putting our think-sos in uh, God's uh, righteousness for it to get completely off track, and it did here for the... And, he, and because of that, he was, his kingship was taken away from him. And God, and, and, and Saul says, it, it would be so much better to just obey than to sacrifice. So think about that in our lives, right? We get on our knees at night, and we're praying, we're like, God, forgive me of all these things, right? I did this wrong, I did this wrong, I did this wrong, I did this wrong. Hopefully we're doing some of this. Maybe you're listening as long as mine. Um, but but we're, we're, we're talking about all these, forgive me of all these things I did wrong. How much better would it be to just live righteously so you didn't have to make the long list? Right? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about to get, getting away from focusing on the world and all the stuff. And there's a ton of stuff going on in the world, and we're going to talk about that a little bit and getting focused on being righteous and being like Christ. <clears throat> Probably need to move it along. I told him I could speed this up and get done quick, but I'm actually uh, bogging down here a little bit. So see, uh, he tells us if we're righteous, we'll speak up and we'll defend the poor. Now there's a lot of stuff going on in our country today, and, and, and it surrounds people that are being poor. It surrounds people that are being mistreated, and we'll talk about both of those. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So we are to be on the side of 
the poor and the needy. I had a guy ask me one time, he said, is it wrong if I don't carry cash? That way when I see a poor guy on the corner begging, I don't have anything to give him. Is that, is that wrong for me to purposefully not have something to give? I said, that doesn't sound like the heart's in the right place to me. I mean, we've got opportunity to help the poor and the needy. And the Bible says a righteous person defends them and knows them and understands them. It also talks about depriving the innocent Again, we've got a lot of people talking about social injustice. And to the extent that social injustice is the topic, we need to be a defender of the innocent. People that are innocent need to be defended. God said righteous people do that. You must be fair in judging others. It is wrong to favor the guilty and rob the innocent of justice. I see this a lot in the Bible talks about not being a respecter of persons. I see this a lot in um, business where a friend might get the benefit of the doubt over somebody else rather than let's coming to the truth, let's getting to the truth, and let's making sure that the truth and the innocent are protected in all of these uh, situations. And many of you might be in positions where you're, in, you're at a company, you're running a company, you're leading a company, you're leading a group, there's one or two people that work for you, you're in the home leading the home, we lead in all kinds of ways. We need to be sure that we protect the innocent. The Lord hates two things, punishing the innocent and letting the guilty go free. If you go and, uh, well, one, one other one, and then I'm just going to give you a laundry list of stuff, other stuff I found in Proverbs because I, I can't go through all of them, but reject all lying. This is something that I see uh, n not only in my business, but um, just prevalent across the country. It doesn't take long, and I know we're in the middle of a, a political, you know, basically debate every day right now for, what, another 20 days, and then everybody will argue over who really won, probably. But um, you can watch one news station that's a conservative, and they'll spin a story one way. You turn to the other station, and they're liberals, they'll spin the story a different way. The days of getting the truth from a news organization are gone. <laughs> Everybody's going to spin it to the, their way, and it, it doesn't matter. that The conservatives, which I, I tend to be, we're just as bad at it as the liberals. <laughs> we will spin it to make what we want the truth to be, and that's not what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. We're supposed to be lying, deceit, all of that, is supposed to be not part of our dialogue. Don't lie to each other. You have taken off those old clothes, the person you once were and the bad things you did then in Colossians chapter 3. You must stop lying. You must stop telling lies. You must always speak the truth to each other because we all belong to each other in the same body in Ephesians. And Revelations gets to the core. But those who are cowards, those who refuse to believe, those who do terrible things, those who kill, those who sin sexually, those who do evil magic, those who worship idols, and those who tell lies, they all have a place in the lake of the burning of, of burning sulfur. This is a second death. So pretty clear that lying shouldn't be in our vocabulary, especially that last verse. I mean, it kind of drives it home, right? The lake of sulfur. The burning fire. But the Proverbs goes on. It talks about a righteous person has a mouth that has nothing twisted or crooked. 
Again, kind of that lying, kind of that talking out of both sides of our mouth, that basically we will tell the truth and you can count. I had a friend tell me one time, if I tell you that a chicken dips snuff, you can look under his wing for the can. (laughs) Meaning that whatever I tell you, I'm going to tell you the truth. That's a joke and I meant for it to be funny, but... It's no laughing matter when we talk about our mouth and the way we talk to people. We need to, we, we need to be truthful. We need to be honest. We don't need to be slanting things and twisting things. goes on to say that the mouth should be a fountain of life. It says that, you sh- that a righteous, des- the righteous people desire good, that righteousness desire good, that righteous thoughts are just, has a regard for his beast. Ever kicked your cat? Kicked your dog. I didn't know this was in there, brothers and sisters, because I've done that. I've not been kind to a horse or to an animal or to something that offended me, right? I'm, I'll take it out on the dog, take it out on the cat. I got in trouble one time. I'll just, a little confession. Riding horses with my sister. We're, I don't know, I don't know how old we're. I think I'm 17. I'm about 17. I think that's 17 because it's the last time my dad ever... Um, spanked me 17 years old we've been riding horses all day i'm tired we're putting the horses up my sister's horse keeps bumping into my horse i'm saying control your horse get her out of the way move her over there well she she didn't and her horse hit into my horse and my horse stepped right on my foot and did one of those little like that and just kind of grounded into the ground and i was like i I hit her in the hit her right there in the top of her leg and she lifted her leg and i pulled out my foot and i reached down picked up a rock and was going to throw it at my sister's horse and i threw it at my sister's horse and i threw it too high and my sister raised up and it caught her right across the eye she had to go to the hospital she had to get some stitches my dad came home from work and blistered my behind 17 years old you know, I wasn't respecting the beast. That wasn't a righteous move, was it? That's a little over the top. Most of us aren't going to do something that drastic. <laughs> but don't kick the cat. Don't kick the dog. You need to be a guide to your neighbor if you're righteous. A righteous person is content. A righteous person sings and rejoices, walks in integrity. A righteous person is, is in communication with, the God, with God. A righteous person knows the rights of the poor, and a righteous person finds refuge in his death. I uh, talked to Luane before services and got her permission to talk about this for a little bit. I was visiting with Brother Jim about three weeks ago in the hospital. Brother Jim passed away this week, and one of the things that we were, we were just talking, we talked about commercials, we talked about a lot of things that day, and I was thankful to get to spend 15 or 20 minutes with him. And one of the things he told me is, Yancey, you know, I don't know if I'm going to die today. I don't know if I'm going to die tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to die three weeks from, from now. But I'm not afraid to die. I'm glad to know that now because Brother Jim has passed on. But he wasn't afraid to die. He was his righteousness. He found refuge in his death. He knew that that was going to be something better for him. And I think when you get to that point, I think that's, I would call that you've made it, right? When when you get to the point that I'm I'm ready to go see my maker, I I think if you can honestly be there, then, then, then you're there. I thank Brother Jim for his time with us and for my opportunity to meet with him that day and... 
what a great uh, what a great person. We'll talk more about Brother Jim. They've asked me to speak at the at the funeral next Saturday, and I'll I'll be doing that. I have no idea what I'm going to say yet, Miss Lorraine, but I appreciate the opportunity to remember him next next Saturday. But a righteous person finds refuge in his death. We cannot compromise. Proverbs tells us to do righteous and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. We talked about that when that's exactly what happened to King Saul. We can't sacrifice our integrity, our morality, our justice, even though they're degrading in the, in the country that we live in. And we have to be courageous about our righteousness. Yet the righteous holds to his ways, and he who has clean hands grows stronger and stronger. And one of my favorites, like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain, is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. So it says if you're a righteous man and you give that up because you're getting oppressed by the wicked, by the world, by the things that are going on around you, and you give way to your righteousness, it says, man, that's like a polluted fountain or a muddy, muddy water, muddy puddle of water. It's just nasty. It's gross. It's not what you want to be. So, <clears throat> I was talking about First John chapter three a couple of well about a week ago before Michael went on vacation. I was telling him about my thoughts about it and, and, and maybe even turning it into a lesson. He said, "You know, there's some similar verses in uh, Romans." And I said, yeah, Romans chapter 6, that's actually what I was going to close with. He goes, yeah, he said, that, uh, that will be good. So Romans chapter 6, as we get ready to close this morning, what then, are we to sin because we are no, uh, we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. goes on to say in verse 19 through 23, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. He's basically saying there, when you were slaves of sin, you didn't care about righteousness. You didn't, you know, you weren't, it was, it was invisible to you. But what fruit were you getting at, at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this concept of becoming slaves of God or being slaves to righteousness is very similar to the concept that John is talking about when he says practice righteousness. Practice righteousness. The old King James says do with righteousness. Do it. Practice it. Be about it. Righteousness. Here he's saying slaves to righteousness. You know, when you think about slavery, we've, this nation's got a, 
just a terrible history of, you know, associated with slaves. When we think about taking men and making them our property and putting them under our thumb and making them do whatever we say, that's one, that's one form of slavery. And we did, that, we did that for the Chinese on the railroad. We did that for the black men bringing them out of Africa. Our nation has done that to men before. But that's not the kind of slavery he's talking. There's voluntary slavery and involuntary slavery. That was involuntary. He's saying voluntarily commit your entire being to the Lord. Voluntarily. He's not making you a slave. It's your choice. He's saying, I want you to come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's asking you to voluntarily allow him to be your Lord and you to be his servant or his slave. He's asking you to practice righteousness. Think about, think about the Gospels. When you read through the Gospels and you think about Jesus walking on this earth, <clears throat> think about how he interacted with the little children. Unless you become like these little children, you'll, you're, you're not going to see the... You're not going to inherit the kingdom. You're not going to be in the kingdom unless your heart can get pure and you can start being as these little children. Think about the way he dealt with the prostitute. Right? Go and sin no more. He who, has, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. Think about how he dealt with all those that were sick and hurting, how he healed them, how he compassionate on them. Think about how he dealt with the Pharisees, those that said he wasn't the Christ, those that said he wasn't from God. So that's the juxtapose here. It's the, the, the two opposite things, right? That one is, one, is, one is about righteousness and doing what he wants you to do and living after him, and one is about questioning him. In 1 John 3, it talks about that being the Antichrist, those that would say he doesn't exist or he's not the Lord. He wants us to practice righteousness. He wants us to practice being like him. And then, what's it say that, that uh, slavery or that practicing of righteousness leads to? Sanctification. What does sanctification lead to? Eternal life. That's why it's important that we get out of the world Quit worrying about the next whatever and start worrying about being like Christ. The lesson is yours. Hopefully something was said there that uh, will, will trigger some thoughts that will make you look at what's going on in your life maybe a little differently, make you think about your relationship with God and the Lord a little differently. We offer uh, prayers. If you, if you would like for us to pray with you and for you, we can do that this morning. If you'd like to be baptized and enter into the kingdom, we can fill up the baptistry and get that done this morning. If you have any need of the church, come while we stand and sing the song that was selected.